passage in verse 19. Pastor Peter has been talking uh, the last couple of weeks about what we're going to challenge you for the next year. Uh, For me, this began, this whole idea began uh, a ways back as we were uh, preparing and doing the campaign where we looked at how do we reach out to a new generation? How do we meet people right where they are? And then we started talking about um, what we would do for a moment for ministry or one of those kinds of things. And I thought it would be a great idea if we, uh, and Peter and I agreed with this, that we would challenge people each week to look around them and look for the opportunities that you could reach out with love and good deeds with an opportunity to give the gospel or just simply to do the good deed. But looking for opportunities for ministry. And with that as a background, uh, that's where this sermon goes. We're going to look at this passage. And then Peter is going to come up at the end of the sermon and give the first one uh, in that direction. And there'll be 51 to follow, I believe, uh, or something close to that. But we want you to be prepared. This will be a challenging sermon. I'm not going to sit up here and rant and rave, that kind of challenge. But if you listen to what it says, you cannot leave here without being changed and without a mindset. Because it's going to say, consider these things, which is exactly, think them through. That's where we're going this morning. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to ask you to follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 10, starting verse 19 through verse 25. That way we kind of get the overall picture of what's going on here in the book of Hebrews. Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That's the passage we're going to look at, and we're going to look at it uh, in a couple of segments. I'm calling this uh, Life Out Loud, um, LOL. Peter joked this morning that he didn't think I would know what LOL means. All of you that use the internet means laughing out loud. We're not talking about laughing out loud. We're going to talk about living the love of Christ out loud. That's where we're going to go. Peter will explain what we're going to do later. The key word that I'm going to look at this morning and I want you to focus on is the word encourage. Encourage has to do with coming alongside someone else, putting aside your own self-interest and helping them. It's going to cost you. It's a little bit like love. It's going to cost you. You need to go out of your way. It's inconvenient. 
but you're going to do that so that someone else benefits. That's what we want to aim at. Uh, one of my favorite stories back, um, and I don't know if the Lambs remember this, but uh, back I taught a couple of classes at uh, um, Mount Calvary Christian School, and for some reason Phil needed a ride down to Mount Calvary. And it was a snowy day. And we're going down 283. Next thing I know is in the ditch in the middle of uh, 283, there's a car parked. Not parked. It was slid into there. And it was nose front. The lady had gotten out of the car and she was dressed. She was either an executive someplace or an executive secretary. I mean, she was dressed in her business suit and skirt and all that. And she was not dressed to be walking around in the snow and in the bad weather. Um, She was just really dressed up. And I said to Phil, I said, Phil, do you want to stop and help her? He goes, yeah, now you, that's not going to surprise you that Phil would do anything not to go to school. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, we got out and uh, we walked over and said, can we help you? And she said, well, I'm, I slid off the road and I'm in here. And I'm like, okay, listen, I got my truck up here and I've got a chain with me and I got a tow strap. We'll, we'll put. Meanwhile, one of those big people mover vans that the Amish use sometimes pulled over. The driver said, hey, do you need some help? And it was a big old thing. And I'm like, well, I was going to pull it out with my truck. He says, well, I got a bigger vehicle than you do. So we hooked it up and pulled her out. You know what? That, that caused us to have to stop and not go where we were going to go. It took us out of our comfort zone. It took us someplace we wouldn't go. But we were able to help someone else. Now, that's a very practical illustration of what you could do to help someone. Now, most of you are not going to do that. You don't have the equipment to do that and, and all those things. If you ever see the back of my truck, you'll know I have all that stuff in there. Um, and I use it. So I, I do those kinds of things. But maybe you never will do that. But what I do know is there are things you can do to reach out and encourage somebody else. But it's going to require a choice on your part. Now, do we do it just because we like helping other people? Is it like the world talks about random acts of kindness? I'm not against random acts of kindness, but I believe that we always, as Christians, have a higher goal. We have a higher motive. We think differently. We have an end goal in mind that's much higher than, well, we did something nice. With that as a background, let's look at the basis for reaching out in love and good deeds. First of all, it says in verse 19, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have a confidence that the world doesn't have. They may do things because it makes them feel good or because somebody challenged them to do that. But we have a confidence that's way beyond that. Our confidence is not in ourselves. It's in the one who entered into heaven. Jesus Christ, the one with a perfect, finished, and complete work on our behalf. I don't really have anything to offer. But he wants to work in me and through me to work in other people's lives. And we have that confidence. The word confidence comes from uh, the word that means to say any, all, and everything that needs to be said. Many of you use King James Version. It almost always uses the word boldly or bold or boldness. 
but it simply means I am going out. And I am going to say or do whatever needs to be done. Why? Because I can do it. I am backed up by the Savior. His work is making it possible. It's not on me. It's on Him. And he says, we do it by a new and living way. The word new there is only used this place in the New Testament. It means a new slain sacrifice. It is not the Old Testament sacrifices that covered sin for a little bit. It's not old pagan sacrifices that didn't do anything except please the devil and fool people. This is a new sacrifice. Only Christ has ever done this sacrifice. It is his sacrifice is different than every other. He is the priest and the offering. He is the one who's doing the work and the one who is the sacrifice. It's a new sacrifice. Something the world doesn't know. If you're, not, if you're here today and you're not a believer, you don't even understand this. We have something that we didn't have before. And it's in Christ. And it says it's a living way. It's a way that is not just, I looked at the map, I looked at the GPS. But it's something that's above and beyond that. It's moving. It's going forward. And he says he inaugurated through the veil, that is his flesh. A veil is something that stops you from seeing through something. He's the one that's opened the veil. He's made it possible for us to reach out. So again, you're not going to, when, by the end of this, you're not going to say, I'm going to do what Pastor Paul's recommending. Don't break your arm trying to pat yourself on the back, because guess what? That is not what we're talking about. If we can boast, like the Apostle Paul said, if I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast in my Savior. I'm going to boast in the Lord. I have nothing personal to boast about. I'm simply living out what he's made possible for me. And then he goes on to say, as a basis for this outreach, we have a great priest. The Old Testament priests had a problem. They died. The Levitical priesthood, you had to be of a certain family, the family of Levi. They died and had to be replaced. The regular priest as well as the high priest, they had to be replaced on a regular basis. In fact, is to be a priest and to work in the temple or the tabernacle, you had to be 30 years old when you started and you had to retire at 50. So there was a rotation of priests all the time. But we have a priest that's not like that. He is of a different order, the order of Melchizedek. He is a new priesthood. And he doesn't come to an end. He is over the house of God. Not just over a nation or over a people, the Jewish people. He is over the house of God. All those who have believed in him. He is the great high priest. And he says there that because of that, we can draw near with a sincere heart. A priest is one, by definition, who brings people to God. A prophet brings God's word to people. A priest brings people to God. And we have a priest that can do that without interruptions. He doesn't have the human limitations we have. We have something the world didn't have, and they didn't have in the Old Testament law. We have something even greater. And because of that, we can draw near with a sincere heart. This is not, I'm just going to do this because somebody will see me and think I'm a wonderful person. There's a story that's said, uh, told, and I don't know if it's true or not. 
But they say that back when they would chisel out marble statues and stuff, that if they made a mistake or there was a crack in the marble, they would take wax, which would look very much the same color as marble, and they would fill the crack or the mistake in with wax. We are without wax. We're sincere. A marble statue. I'm sure Michelangelo didn't use wax in any of his. They're still around yet. You know, there wasn't something fake in there. We're genuine, without wax. When we serve the Lord, we serve genuinely from the heart. Why do we serve that way? Because of our Savior. So, again, he's working in and through us. He's the one that gets the glory. Now, I'll tell you, some people might thank you. And they'll say, wow, that was really nice. And they probably will. But that is never why we do it. We do it so the focus would be on the Savior. And he is the one that makes it possible for us to draw near with that confidence and full assurance of faith. We do not need to be wishy-washy. If you've trusted Christ, you can move forward and you can keep a focus. Full assurance. Not looking to the side. Not wondering, am I doing the right thing? No, whenever you're serving the Lord and you're reaching out to people, you can know that you're doing the right thing. And then he goes on to say that you have a heart sprinkled clean and a body that is washed. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, water always represents washing something away. Now, water can never wash away sin. But by way of analogy, it's simply saying this. Our hearts are sprinkled clean. When the Bible uses the word heart by itself, it means your thinking process, your emotions, and your will. Every part of who you are as a human being is cleaned up. God didn't do a partial job when he changed our lives in salvation. He did a complete job, washed us clean, our thinking, our emotions, and our will, that ability to choose to do things. And then he says, oh, by the way, your body also gets changed. It's not a matter of, okay, my mind and my heart and my will does this, but you know what, with my body, I can still do whatever I want. He said, no, 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 no. The work of Christ changes everything, cleans everything, including our bodies. He wants us all. He's provided for all, and he's washed us clean. 100%. And as with that as a basis, with that assurance, with that confidence, we can reach out. Again, I'm going to repeat this one last time. It is never about me. It's never about you. It's about what he is doing and what he has done in me so that I can turn around and do what he wants me to do. So that's the basis of it. But how do we prepare for this? How do, how do we move forward? He says in verse 24, he says, I want you to do this. I want you to consider something. This is never, I blindly do what somebody challenges me to do. I pray that over the next 51, uh, 52 weeks actually now, uh, when Peter challenges, well, Peter said I should do this, maybe I should do it. No, no. 
It should be because you have thought it through and you know this is what God wants to do. It's never blindly doing because somebody else told you to do it. It is because you have thought it through, you've contemplated, you took note of it, and you have said, no, this is what God wants me. So he says, let us, note it's the plural, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. This is kind of the, the basis of the, and the middle of the sermon here, is that we are to think this all through. It's not just rote. It's not just blindly doing something. It's I've thought it through, and I know this is what God wants me to do. And I am convinced of that in every possible way. And then he says, we are to consider this, to stimulate one another to do these things. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Pastor Peter. It doesn't say Pastor Paul's sermon. It doesn't say any of those things. It could include Peter and I. could do that. And hopefully it will. But it says one another. That means everyone who attends, everyone who is here, is to hear to stimulate each other. Now the word stimulate is a actually very strong term. Fact is, in the book of Acts, it, it uses that word stimulate as a and translate as a strong disagreement. Now we're not talking about disagreement here. We're talking the opposite of that. The word is used both ways. It is we are poking and prodding other people to do the right thing. So when we get together, and it's not a matter of we sang a bunch of songs which is all great. Thank you, praise team. It's not, uh, hey, we listen to Pastor Paul or Pastor Peter or whoever's the speaker today, and I hope you do listen. And it's not that we shook hands with people and we're glad to talk to them and, and had some fellowship and interaction with other people, and I hope you did, and, and that's all good. But this is saying that when we get together, part of that consideration that we do is how am I going to hold someone else accountable? Now, you may not always like this. Do you like people poking in your life and saying, hey, have you put into practice any of those things that Pastor Peter's talking about? Have you put any of those into practice? Can you tell me about it? We don't really like to be held accountable. But if you do that, you will... You might stay away from church if we do this right. You go, well, I haven't done anything lately, so maybe if they ask me a question, maybe I won't show up. Don't do that. Please don't do that. But the point is, when we get together, we should be here to prod each other to do what is good and right and proper. That's what we should do. It's not a matter of you just sit and look forward. It is a matter of interaction. Notice it's one another, each other. It's not a one-way or just a two-way conversation. It's an every-way conversation that we should be encouraging each other to reach out. And that is the preparation that we need. And I know this is true. And why are we preparing? Why do we stimulate one another? To love and good deeds. Love goes right along with the encouragement that we talked about earlier. Because love requires you to pay a price. It requires you to be unilateral. This is agape love. It requires you to put the good, the welfare, and the well-being of the other person above your self-concerns. It requires you to focus on someone else. 
I'll tell you what, I don't have to make a choice to focus on me. That comes natural. Guess what? I know you're no different than I am. Because we take care of ourselves. It's not that difficult. It's like falling off a log. I look at myself and, hey, what do I need? But love requires me to look at what someone else needs. And then it goes on and says we stimulate each other to look at another person's needs. And then I'm going to do something about it. Good deeds. The word good here is not the word that says I'm going, and and it could include this in other places in the New Testament. It does, but not here. This word here means I do it simply because it's the right thing to do. I don't do it because, well, that person has a need and I'm just going to do that and that's, that's all good. There's nothing wrong with that. But this goes a step further and says, you know what? They don't even have to acknowledge it. I've done things for my neighbors and I never even told them. Now, I'm going to tell you that Peter's going to challenge you sometime to offer to mow your neighbor's yard. Please, if you do that, ask them first so that, you know, they may be really picky about how they mow their yard and they may really, you may do the wrong thing. But I, just the other week, my wife said, hey, you know, the last time the leaves are coming out, that both of our neighbors um, were in pretty bad physical shape. She said, you know what? Uh, the, the leaf guys are coming tomorrow. You might want to go over. I went over and blew the leaves. They didn't even know I did it until days and days later. They're like, hold it. What happened to our leaves? You know what? I didn't do it because of that. And many times they'll come over and say, hey, thanks for, for taking care of it. Or they'll come over and, hey, did you blow our leaves? I don't really care. I didn't do it because of that. I did it because I want to show that I'm just reaching out to people. I believe that it will be a, eventually, it hasn't happened yet, but eventually we'll have an opportunity to witness to the neighbor. Uh, one, of, one of them is saved, the other one is not. And the point is, I want to do those things, but I want in, us to encourage each other not to simply go to church and know we're going to heaven and know our sins are forgiven. Those are all great things, but I want it to be way more than that. We should be people that are looking out to help other people. And when we gather together, it's not just to learn. Nothing wrong with that. It's not just to worship. Obviously, nothing wrong with that. It's not just a fellowship. But it's to stimulate one another to leave here and do something that shows that we're a Christian. When you go out today, the last set of double doors you go out, look above it. It says something like this. You are entering the mission field. The missions committee put it there. Totally agree with that. When you leave here, this is not your mission. This is preparation for your ministry. Now, some of us minister here, no doubt about that. But it's preparation so that we will stimulate, encourage each other to go above and beyond when we leave here. And just encouraging you, uh, what I can do to encourage you. The second thing is that we don't forsake our own assembling together. You go, how in the world does this work? I'll tell you how it works. Is if I stay away from church, if I stay away from gathering with other Christians, if I stay away from the places that other Christians will encourage me or 
poke me and prod me in the right direction or hold me accountable, if I stay away, it's easy to get out of the habit of reaching out to other people. In fact, as he said, if you get out of the habit of meeting with each other, you're probably not going to be stimulated to do what you should do when we get together. I have a really extreme story, it's a real story, that uh, is a little different than this, but it'll get my point across, I believe. Years ago, I was counseling with a lady who was having an affair against her husband, and it had been going on for a long time. And she used to always show up at church, and she stopped showing up. So I called her, and I said, hey, I haven't seen you for a while. She says, well, when I come to church, I get convicted. I said, well, I haven't preached on adultery in a long time. She said, you don't need to. Just being there and seeing other people and and what they're doing convicts me. She said, I can stay home and I still get convicted, but when I go to church, it's worse. So I'm staying home. Well, guess what? If I don't really want to do what God wants me to do and I stay away, it gets real easy to get lackadaisical and not do what God wants me to do. So why do we get together? It doesn't say get together and listen to Pastor Paul rant and rave for, you know, a half an hour. It doesn't say that. It's we get together to encourage. Now, notice, it is stimulate one another. And if you notice the words one another, they're not in any Greek text. Because here's how it really reads. It reads, as is the habit of some, but encouraging. So what is the purpose of getting together? Stimulate one another, the good, love and good deeds, and to encourage. Think about that. When you're shaking hands, it's great to say, how are you? But you know what? It would be even better to go beyond that. Hey, what's God doing in your life? What are you doing to reach out? What are you doing to show Christ's love in you and Christ's work in you? How are you reaching out to someone else? I'm going to challenge you, and Peter's going to challenge you for the next year to do that. Some of you may not like that. That's okay. But by the way, this stimulate and poke can be a very strong word. I'm not asking you to simply irritate other people. Please don't do that. That is not the purpose of this. Yes, Ron. Ron's got his pen out poking somebody already. You would think better of a professor than that. But anyway, thanks for the illustration, Ron. But anyway, that's what we should do when we get together. It's okay to hold each other accountable. To encourage, yes, and stimulate. That's what this passage is about. So notice, it's not about, well, the pastor wants you to make sure that you're you're in a good habit of getting to church because he likes to see warm bodies in the pew. No pastor objects to that. I'll tell you that right now. On the other hand, that is not what this purpose, that purpose of this passage. It is so that we would help each other to reach out. So we come together to reach out, and like the sign above the door says, you're entering the mission field. Now, what is the reason for reaching out? It is very clear that last verse is the time is short. This is what it says. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. This was written almost 2,000 years ago. So this is about 2,000 years after that was written, approximately. If that was appropriate 2,000 years ago, think about it today. Is the end of this world 
is the time of opportunity even less than it was 2,000 years ago? That's an obvious answer. Of course it is. There should be, think about this, an urgency in what we do. I've lived 67 years, getting close to 68 now. And I've seen the world go downhill in a whole lot of ways. It is urgent. The world needs to see the love of Christ. They need to hear the work of God. And as I've said before, and I'm going to repeat it at least one more time now, probably more in the future, nobody cares what you have to say unless they first know you care. I believe that covers this passage in a great way. But what do we need to do? We get cold. We get lackadaisical. We get complacent. But when we gather together, we really need to encourage and stimulate one another to do the work of the ministry. And that means I'm going to take the first step. I'm going to go out of my way to do something for that grouchy co-worker of mine. I'm going to go in and I'm going to, I'm going to you know, say, oh, it's really good to see you today. I am so glad that I get to work with you. You might have to bite your tongue a little bit, right? You might have to do that. But you need to go that way because you're reaching out with love and good deeds. After a while, they're going to say, you're weird. Why are you different? That's when the opportunities start. You know, and we're going to challenge you. Peter is going to come up for the next few minutes and uh, get us started in that direction. And uh, well, anyway, Lord bless Peter. I skip through all of your questions, Paul. There we go. Uh, so as Paul said, what we're going to be doing is uh, over the last couple of years here during the announcement time, you know I've been taking it, uh, taking time to focus on different aspects within our Christian life. So uh, one year we looked at spiritual, develop, or, uh, spiritual gifts, and then we also looked at spiritual disciplines. Last year, can anyone tell me what we looked at? Ministry minute. Yeah, good job. Yeah, ministries that you could be a part of uh, both here in the church and where you might fit. This year, as Paul said, we're looking at the LOL, the living out the love of Christ among others. And so if you go ahead and open up your bulletin, you're going to see it there. Uh, The reason for this is just as Paul said, it's because of what God has done for us, the love that he has shown us through Christ, that we are to love others. And it's an action. uh, The action is a result of our relationship with Christ. And so we wanted to emphasize that here at church, especially as church leaders, is to encourage you guys If you have a relationship with Christ and you know how much he loves you, that love is to extend beyond just you. So the goal of it, you'll see in the bulletin there, the goal is living out the love of Christ in practical ways to those around you. And that's really what this is going to focus on. We're going to highlight practical ways that you can show love to other people each and every week. So uh, we're also going to have a memory verse included in there for the month. Uh, Matthew 22, 37 through 39 is in there. Many of you guys know this one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so again, this verse is highlighting if you have a relationship with God and your heart's focused on God, naturally what's going to happen? You're going to show love to your neighbor. So we want to encourage you in that direction. Um, 
our, our example here for today for LOL, action number one, right? Simply what we're going to encourage you to do, or at least uh, advise, suggest, encourage you to do, is sometime uh, this next week or over the next couple months or whatever, uh, leave a note of kindness to tell someone uh, what you appreciate about them. You know, it doesn't have to be long. It could, maybe you just need to go up and talk to them and say, hey, this is why I appreciate you as a friend or something like that. But we want to encourage you to take some time, leave a note to someone who maybe you don't usually leave a note for, and express why you appreciate them. What we want to highlight here is, as Paul said, it's not random acts of kindness. The problem there is it's not only to random people, but it's also at random times. This one is very intentional. We want you to be intentional with what you do. You're not going to just hand out stuff. You're not just going to show the love of Christ to other Christians. We want you to do it to all the people who are around you. That's why I like that word neighbor in there in Matthew 22, because the neighbor is anyone you rub shoulders with. And so what we want to do is encourage you to pray about it, ask God to open up opportunities for you. We want you to think about specific people who you can reach out to with this. And then we want you to think of other actions and other ways that you can show the love of Christ to other people. You're not limited to what is in your bulletin. You're not limited to this. Be creative with some of the different things. And yes, of course, share it with other people. We definitely want to encourage you to encourage others in other directions. Give them different ideas. And then the last thing here is this. During this year, over the next 52 or 51 technically after this, but uh, 52 weeks, we are going to have some business cards back there. Some of these things are going to be anonymous type deals where you just drop a note or you help give something to someone. Or maybe you don't have a lot of time to talk with the person behind you that maybe you're buying some coffee for or something like that. We're going to have a little business card. I don't have them here today due to the holidays. They didn't get here in time. But we're going to encourage you to hand those to them. And on it, it's simply going to say this, the LOL, living out the love of Christ among others. And then on the back, it's simply going to have the verse in 1 John of, because I have loved you, now you must love one another. And you can use that as just kind of a gateway, uh, a pointing to other people toward Christ. And so that's why we're really encouraging you, and that's why I asked Paul to do a sermon on this today, is because this is what we're going to be doing as a church. We want to stir up. We want to encourage one another to continue to live out our Christian lives, not only here at church and with each other, that's great, but with everyone around us. And so that's where we want to be at today. If you would bow your heads, and we're going to close in a word of prayer here. Dearly Father, Lord, we thank you for all that is that you have done for us, and we thank you so much for your Son, Jesus Christ, who made it possible for us to approach you in a right relationship, as Paul highlighted. It's because of the shedding of his blood that we are made clean, that we are made holy, that we are renewed. And Lord, we understand this, because it's nothing that we did. We were still sinners when you sent Jesus Christ to die on that cross for us. We didn't deserve it one bit. But you loved us so much that you sent him. And Lord, as we continue to grow and learn about how much it is that you love us, we pray that you will continue to help move us, to stir us up, to show love to the other people around us in this world. Not just with our fellow Christians, not just with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but literally maybe with our neighbor maybe with our community, maybe with our co-workers, who desperately, desperately need that light, the truth of the gospel in their life. And Lord, we want to pray that you will use us as that light, and that our actions will be honoring and glorifying to you. 
Lord, we also want to pray that we will do these things with a right heart and with a right mind, that we don't do it so that people will look at us, but ultimately that they will glorify you and notice that there is something different about us, how it is that you have changed our lives and how we treat other people. Lord, we do thank you for this time that we could gather here together. We thank you that we are able to encourage one another, to motivate one another, to stir up one another with, in, with deep emotion and intention in this area. And Lord, we just want to pray with your spirit will be with us, guiding us as we go forward in this direction, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys are just-